it has been a fun, fun weekend with you guys. It's been really enjoyable to get to know all of you, get to re-know some of you that have been to U of I on spring break. It's been fun follow-up conversations, just hearing what God's done in you um, over the last year. Um, before I jump into things, I also want to just like take a second and prop up the central staff here. Like you guys have an amazing team here. Um, can you guys like just give like some thanks maybe through applause, something like that later. When things run smoothly, um, it actually represents a lot of work that happens behind the scenes. And um, all of the staff and interns here have been working really hard. But honestly, I just love their heart for Jesus. Um, there's like a deep-seated, um, like, how do I want to say it? There's no pretense, I feel like, you know, with your guys's, with you guys' team here. They're real, genuine people that just love Jesus. That's a gift, okay? It's a gift not to have ego up here. It's a gift not to have um, people that are trying to make themselves or Chi Alpha famous. Like, I can tell this group is about making Jesus famous. So I just want to, like, affirm that. You guys are blessed. So have you guys ever noticed the many ways that we use the word friend? So I'll tell you a story. A few weekends ago, I had a solo trip to Seattle. Um, I left my family at home because it was going to be a pretty full weekend. Um, there was a whole bunch of events going on. Um, but as the day went on, I couldn't help but notice um, there was this theme that kept coming up about the different ways that I think about the word friend. So the Saturday morning, I went to this really beautiful wedding um, in downtown Seattle. And it wasn't beautiful because, I mean, they are beautiful people. This is my cousin, Jordan. Um, it wasn't like a Pinterest kind of wedding. It wasn't like they'd spent thousands of dollars on decorations or like wasn't like an Instagram story or something. Like it was beautiful because these were best friends that were committing their life together. Their ceremony was all about Jesus. Um, you could just tell the Holy Spirit was in the room. Um, there was these beautiful words of affirmation. And you could just tell they read letters to each other. I love when weddings do that. Um, they just knew each other so well. So I saw best friends getting married. Later that day, I was scrolling on social media and looking at what my 1,300 friends were doing. And I had the thought, it's definitely time to purge the friend list. But um, campus ministry problems, like there's all these, you know, there's probably freshmen from like 15 years ago that I friended on Facebook or whatever. I don't even know who they are anymore. Um, but right, we've got lots of friends. And then that night, um, there was a lot of traffic in Seattle this weekend. Um, and my sister and I drove about an hour. That's my older sister, Angela. Her and I are one day short of a year apart. So our birthday is one day apart. Um, and we're, we're good friends. We drove um, to Kirkland because it was um, our 20-year high school reunion. And um, it was actually her 21st, but the class of 02 and the class of 03 decided to do their um, 20 year and 21st year together um, because of COVID things. So um, it was interesting. So well, Angela and I, first of all, it was cool because we um, haven't always been close, but we are at a spot now in our relationship where we can really talk about pretty deep stuff, pretty meaningful stuff. She can ask, how are you really doing? And I can share that with her. And then we went to the high school reunion. 
Um, so it was on the Kirkland waterfront. It was fancy. But there was this DJ that was just blasting music so loud. Like, you had to yell like this if the person was right next to you. Like, hi, what have you been doing for the last 20 years? Like, it was so awkward, guys. Like, it, it was fun. Like, I can get into a vibe like that or whatever. But it was also really strange because there was these friends that you really were strangers at this point in your life. Um, it was strange to watch, like, these almost 40-year-olds, and some of them probably were 40, um, like, flirting, and there was, like, the same old cliques, like, immediately globbed up. There were people that were just, like, rude, like, this girl that I didn't even know, she's like, oh, my gosh, have you seen, like, how much weight these people have gained? And I was like, how dare you say that? Like, that's so mean. And then there were other people that were just so plastered drunk. There, I kept thinking this girl was trying to steal my bag because she was just running into me the whole time. She's like, dang. And I was like, who's stealing my purse? And they're like, just like really, really drunk. So it was just, it was a strange night. It felt like, um, it felt like a movie or something. So a wedding, <laughs> social media friends, family that are friends, and high school reunion. All very different <laughs> definitions of friends. And if each of those different things are pursued, it leads to different outcomes. Different kinds of communities will lead you very different places. So my question for us today is, who do you call your friends? How do we get and keep rich, satisfying friendships? What kinds of friendships will lead us to the way of wisdom? And which friendships will lead us to the way of folly? This weekend, so far in the book of Proverbs, we have been exclusively in chapters 1 through 9 in Proverbs. And that's because chapters 1 through 9 are a set. Um, they are go together because they're introducing the book, they're introducing the theological themes of the book, and they sort of act as an interpretive guide to chapters 10 through 31. So right away, even in chapters 1 through 9, we see that the path towards relationship with Lady Wisdom or Lady Fallen, Folly is lined with other people. There's actually the, all these passive characters in the book. And the beginning of the book wastes no time painting a picture that your friends determine your future. So Proverbs 1.10, 15 through 16 says, If sinners entice you, do not give in to them. My son, do not go along with them. Don't set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. Proverbs 2.12 Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Don't set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. And over and over and over again, the author reveals to us that both the way of wisdom and the way of folly are communal experiences. Lady wisdom and lady folly both have entourages that are with them. So Proverbs says you either do wisdom together or you do foolishness together. So I think it's really important to notice because we're such an individualistic society right now. Um, we could easily imagine pursuing wisdom just all on our own. Um, as a culture, I think we have this like ideal character that's maybe like Mandalorian style hero. How many people watch that show? Okay, I don't, I'll just be honest. <laughs> but I was trying to find an example that y'all would connect with. Um, but as far as I know, if I'm getting this right, the Mandalorian, no matter the moral complexity of the situation, he kind of paves his own path with integrity. Like he finds his own way and builds his own truth by himself. 
And he does, he has a few friends, but he doesn't have many friends. But he can somehow, without a real community, make pretty tricky decisions just kind of based off his own wisdom. And most of the time it kind of works out for him. But the thing is, the Mandalorian-style hero does not reflect reality. The reality is you cannot embody wisdom solo. Throughout my years of ministry, I have met many college students who have bought into the lie that they could become wise all on their own. Because this God designed us to be in community, I think it's a law of nature that whatever the community around you is, that community will eventually change you. This is what we might call a passive adoption of worldview. So think about if we break those words apart, worldview is like your lens to see the world, your values, your perspective on life and truth. And then we've got this idea of a passive adoption of that lens, meaning it's not intentional. It's just being shaped without your action or resistance actively. It's just kind of happening. Okay? So there's a paradox, I think, in our culture. On one hand, we've got the idolization of lone wolf individualism, that you can be an integrative person without community, live your truth. On the other hand, we are deeply influenced in subtle ways by the culture of our communities around us. And that culture, your community could be the engineering department, it could be the culture of your residence hall, it could be the culture of who you're following on the internet, the who, the, who you're subscribed to, the friends you choose to hang out on the weekends. Your communities are going to shape your truth subtly, like in the background, without you even knowing it. So Proverbs is cautioning us to choose our friends well, because either Lady Folly's friends will dis- devour you little by little, or Lady Wisdom's friends are going to grow you, and we get to choose. So Proverbs 1 through 9, we see the choice, and that's what we've spent the last couple nights talking about. We've talked about idolatry, we've talked about the two paths. Proverbs 10 through 31 are kind of different. You'll even notice just the structure is a little bit different for the rest of this book. And these are just a collection of wisdom sayings. So the topics seem to jump kind of randomly, theme to theme. Um, So I want us to talk for just for a second of how do we read the second half of the book of Proverbs. Because we need a different set of skills for 10 through 31 than we might need with chapters 1 through 9. So here's how to study a theme in Proverbs. First, you're going to read through the whole book, <laughs> and you're going to note topically similar um, Proverbs. Now, you could do a Bible gateway search, too, and just put in, like, friends or something. But what I discovered is that um, it doesn't always use the word friends, but it might have a theme that relates to friendship. So it is helpful just to read the whole book, and you could, like, have a little highlighter or you know, make dots or something. So then you want to collect them, and you're going to read them all together. And then you're going to notice if there's any apparent contradiction. So this is number three. There you go. So here's an example of this. Proverbs 26.4 says, Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. Sometimes I'm like, why can't we remember this before we get into all the dumb social media debates? Like, the comment section on the internet is, like, the darkest place of humanity, I think. Like, and it's so addictive, too. You're like, why am I reading this dumpster fire of a conversation? Like, this is so not worth it. Right? 
don't answer the arguments of fools that's asking for trouble. Okay, seems straightforward. But then you read the very next verse is this. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Okay, so are we supposed to answer the fool or not, right? That seems strange. So the cool thing about this proverb is that it's not only making a point through contradiction, it's also utilizing a really common literary device that we're going to see in Proverbs. You also see it a lot in Psalms, and it's this idea of parallelism, okay? So any English majors in here? Okay, a couple. Yeah, parallelism is this idea of using matching ideas or matching phrases or even it could be matching sentence structures to embody an idea. Am I blocking your guys' view? Can you guys see? Go like that. Yeah. I know there's a lot of info here. So, um, Proverbs is like full of parallelism. So there's some questions we can ask ourselves when you see a phrase like come up twice. We can say, is the second iteration adding something? Is it creating clarity? Is it adding nuance to the situation? So in our case, where we have two verses that are right next to each other that saying the exact opposite things, what it means is, well, okay, there's contextual factors that we need to bring into play. What's the fool? Who's the fool? What's the argument that they're arguing about? What's the situation and the context surrounding the argument? Who's present? The answer to this conundrum is what Jeremy said the very first night. It's wisdom in action. It's wisdom lived out. The wise person knows that sometimes it is definitely better to keep your mouth shut, and other times we do need to speak up. But which situation is which one is, is literally how we develop wisdom. It's wisdom lived out. It's wisdom not just up here, but it's wisdom in action. Okay, so it's kind of cool. There's, it's, a, it's almost like a puzzle sometimes in, in Proverbs. It's fun. Okay, so the next step you're going to do is you're going to ask, how does the proverb fit into the rest of the book of Proverbs? The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Bible as a whole. We have to look at the whole counsel of Scripture. So if there's something that seems out of place, then we need to ask ourselves, well, why does it seem out of place? What's different about this? I said somewhere, I think it was in the breakout session yesterday, this idea of we need to start getting used to asking ourselves questions. Um, and we can do that, too, as we read scripture. Learn how to have that internal dialogue with yourself. Huh, why did they do that? What's that one doing here? Huh, I wonder what that makes sense. Oh, that other verse. We, we can make these connections in our brain to help us make sense of it. You could do a Bible gateway search and just, like, see, hey, not just in limited to Proverbs, but, like, where does this word come up or this phrase come up or this idea come up elsewhere in the Bible? And then read it and see how it all connects. And then finally, we need to remember that Proverbs are snapshots of reality. They're not promises, and they're not formulas. And I, Jeremy and I talked about this. I wish we had time to talk about how Proverbs as a book fits into wisdom literature as a whole. Because really, you need to read the book of Proverbs with the book of Job, with the book of Ecclesiastes, and with the book of Song of Solomon. Um, they all go together to give us a full picture of life. Okay. So I wanted to ask the question about friendship and community. So I tried to do this process with the book of Proverbs. What does the book of Proverbs say about this? And oh my goodness, guys, there was so much 
it was overwhelming. So I had to kind of pick and choose for today. So with the overarching umbrella topic of friendship, I picked three themes that I feel like came up over and over again. Okay? So I found words, advisors, and trouble. And the way this, the rest of this morning is going to work is I'm going to read like a bunch of passages from each little section. And then I'm going to tell you a story that kind of um, from my life that I think goes with that theme. And then I'm going to end with a challenge. Make sense? We're going to talk about each of these little sub-themes, verses, story, challenge. So let's jump in. Words. Okay, so let's get a picture here. I'm going to step back so I'm not blocking. We're just going to read a bunch of scripture, okay? Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Eleven nine says, with their words, the godless destroy their friends but knowledge will rescue the righteous. 11.13, a gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep confidence. 12.18, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. 15.1 and 2, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Don't you love that image? Belches foolishness. It's gross, stinky, like, okay, I love it. Um, gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. 1528, the heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. 1624, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. 1628, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. 17.9, who would foster love, oh, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. 18.21, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. 25.15, Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. 25.18, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. 26.18, just as damaging as a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then just says, I was only joking. Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Don't you love the pictures here? Oh, the imagery is so good. What are some of the things you guys notice from this just collection? There was more I could have put up, but we got to stop somewhere. What are some of your observations? Shout them out. Words could be weapons pretty damaging weapons, right? Like if it's like the same as getting hit with an axe, that's interesting. Yeah. Gossip is bad. Yep. No one to stop. That's hard. <laughs> Any other 
flip back to another one of those ones. What, what do you guys notice? stuff in here about honesty there's stuff about like your tone of voice yeah yeah you can talk too much there's so much in here yeah when used correctly they can bring a lot of life that's right so we could keep going and going with our observations if you were going to do that process i just talked you through you could be like, oh, this reminds me of the book of James, and then go make some connections. Like, you could do all of this hyperlinking from all over the Bible. Punchy statements. Okay, story time. My freshman year in college, Derek and I were taking a Kyle class called the discipleship class. This is our little freshman, sophomore selves. We don't look that different, right? 20 years later, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> I hope. Um... Okay, do you guys call it discipleship class, discipleship evangelism class? Okay, how many people have taken discipleship class? Woo, that's awesome. Okay, little plug for that coming up spring quarter for you guys or whenever you do it, winter quarter. Winter, winter quarter, you're on quarters. Um, <laughs> you guys should all consider taking this. Um, it's an awesome experience to learn how to make disciples. Um, so, okay, you might be tempted to think that, like, the staff have always just been naturals at, like, sharing your faith and making disciples. That is not true. I was actually a very awkward human my freshman year. I had no idea how to share my faith. Um, and so there's hope for you, right? No. Um, so talk, who, does, who should they talk to if they're interested in D class? Talk to Cassidy, okay? Okay, so Derek and I are in discipleship evangelism class. And our campus director was encouraging each of us to host a party at our homes where we could invite our non-believer friends um, to come over and just build relationships. Um, we were challenged to pray for Holy Spirit opportunities at those parties. You know, chances just to get to know people on a deeper level, um, to talk about spiritual things, um, to share our faith if it came up naturally, and just invite God to use that kind of relational time. So Derek at this time, he lived with two other Christian guys from the music department who were, um, they were Christians, but they were involved in a different campus ministry. Um, and Derek, of course, needed to talk with his roommates about potentially using their off-campus home for hosting this party because it's just a shared space thing. So um, as sometimes happens, there was dun, 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 miscommunication, <laughs> miscommunication. So Derek's explaining this party idea, and his roommates immediately got really uncomfortable. Um, there's probably multiple reasons why the miscommunication happened. Um, I'm sure Derek didn't communicate perfectly at, you know, 19 or whatever, but somehow his roommates got in their head that this was like a weird evangelism party and we were going to lure all our music department friends into this room and then bomb them with the gospel and we were going to evangelize them all. <sighs> but instead of voicing their discomforts and their concerns with Derek, they just said, yeah, you can use the house. And then they started processing their discomfort with other people in the music department. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I think many times gossip starts as a simple need to process our discomfort. That's where it starts most of the time. And there's a nuance here because it's actually really healthy 
to talk about the feelings that are happening under the surface, right? When our bodies react to an idea, we need to explore that. But the problem comes when we process our discomfort, could be about a relationship, could be about a church, could it be about a theology or a decision, a conversation, a person, when we process that with someone other than the person involved, okay? If Derek's roommates had chatted with Derek and I about the party, honestly, I bet we could have had a really cool opportunity to talk about what it means to have intentional friendships. What does it mean to share our faith? What does it mean to want the music department to come to Jesus? Maybe we could have addressed their fears. Maybe we could have even brought some helpful tweaks to our language and the way we were communicating. But discomfort often leads to assumptions, and assumptions often lead to judgment. And processed in the wrong place leads to damaging relationships. So what happened with our party? Well, the roommates processed with others, and they processed with others, and that eventually got around to the people we were actually inviting to the party. And our friendship with those friends was actually harmed significantly. I think our gospel witness was harmed. High Alpha got a weird reputation in the music department, even though it was honestly based completely on a misunderstanding about language. We felt betrayed and frustrated and grieved, and there was relational conflict with the roomies as a result, and it probably could have all been avoided. Gossip is often unintentional. Do you guys know that human beings are messy things? We're like so messy. We can acknowledge that. We're messy, I'm messy, you're messy. But when we feel those uncomfortable emotions, we do need to have healthy ways of processing. Because if they come out in an immature way, we live out that proverb that says gossip separates close friends. So how can we be a community that avoids gossip? I've got a few steps for us. We need to take our discomfort to Jesus first. This is hard, even for like, like older, you know, adults. Like, I still have to remind myself, take my discomfort to Jesus first. You could journal about it. You could write a letter to God. You could pray about it. Sometimes we need to take that step to like repent of any judgment or anger, repent of any bitterness we might have or resentment. And honestly, sometimes this might be all that you need to do. Because like, it's not always helpful if I'm like, hey, Kirsten, um, I just need to repent to you that I've been having really judgmental thoughts to you. Like, right now I've damaged the relationship because now she knows I'm having judgmental thoughts, right? So sometimes it, it just is here. Sometimes this is all we need to do is just take it to Jesus and repent. But then number two is we need to give the person or ministry situation, whatever it is, an MGI. What's an MGI? Most generous interpretation. What is the most charitable, like, interpretation of that situation or that comment or that issue? Rather than assuming that Chi Alpha was a group of insensitive evangelism robots, it would have been really nice if the roommates had asked some unassuming questions first, if they just sought to create clarity, okay? Most generous interpretation. What's the most charitable way that you could view that? Number three is then go to the person without judging and seek clarity and understanding. This takes practice to learn how to ask questions in a way that don't get people's defensive, like don't get people defensive, I should say. 
So there's a difference between saying, gosh, why are you guys always just, like, talking about evangelism only and you don't even care about the people? Like, can you just tell me why you do that? <laughs> that's not open-ended. That's an extremely judgmental way of asking the question. Another way they, they could have asked would have been, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking about this idea of, like, an intentional party. Can you tell me more about that? It's really open-ended and invites conversation. If you still disagree, number four, if you can't resolve it, then you can ask a trusted person outside the situation to help you mediate. Number five, recognize how any extra people you involve complicates the situation. Because now it's me, Jesus, Kirsten, and Emily here. Now Emily knows that I'm judging Kirsten. It's Emily, right? Got it. Okay. And then finally, make amends if you've damaged the relationship. We could talk about this for a long time, but instead, I'm going to ask you some questions. How is Jesus asking you to adjust your processing? Did, did we not get everything? Go back. Okay, go back. Slow down. I'll let you write. And, you know, I don't tell that story to, like, do the thing back to them of, like, judge them. But I think it's just a, this is something that is really easily destroys community. And it's something that we all are on a journey to learn how to be, like, mature in this area, to learn how to handle conflicts and discomfort with wisdom. You guys good? Got most of it? <laughs> no. Look at your neighbor's paper. You're allowed to cheat today. Okay, we're going to keep going. How is Jesus asking you to adjust your process? You can also take pictures, guys, if it's going too fast. What forms of life-giving speech do you need to add? You know, one of the things I love about some of the culture of Chi Alpha is this idea of a culture of honor, a culture of affirmation. You know, we've even built affirmation into some of our regular, like, rhythms of the year, right? I don't know if you guys do this. You used to at Central, but um, it's was pretty normal when I was there for us to end like your small group semester or like core core with um, like affirmation night where you like look each other in the eye and say, Kirsten, I'm just picking on you today. <laughs> I really appreciate your genuine heart to serve Jesus. You are so passionate. I am so excited about the things you told me yesterday and how you want to serve God with children and birthing babies and all of this cool, not you birthing babies, other people birthing babies. <laughs> you got it. You look each other in the eye or, like, you write them down. Like, we've actually built this into some of our rhythms. That's really cool. But sometimes we need to not even just wait for that. So um, you can put the challenge up there. Your challenge this week is to give two heartfelt affirmations to someone before you leave camp. And then some of us probably need to talk to Jesus if we have some destructive habits. What destructive habits might we need to cease? I know it's a lot. I'll let you finish writing. And then we're going to move on to advisors. Okay. We good? Here we go. Advisors. This was another theme that seemed to come up a lot as I studied Proverbs. Okay, we're going to throw some words up here, some verses. 11.14. Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. 
Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. 1310, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. 1522, plans go wrong for a lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. 27.6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Ooh, I love that verse. It's so like, I don't know, makes me think of like Lord of the Rings or something like the, the you know, the, the really well-dressed, nice-looking person that's like flattering and like trying to get on someone's good side, but it's not with the right motive. Okay. Um, 2717, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. 2816, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. 29.5, to flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. 27.9, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So Jeremy and I kind of hit this yesterday a little bit, but what are some of the observations that come up in this section? else do you guys see? Yeah, you seek counsel, seek advice from other people. Humility and pride, there's a contrast there. <coughs> Something I notice that I like is there's some of these are, there's like a clear power differential, like some of it's like you need, like, your war advisor or your kingly advisor. And then some of these other ones are, like, it's friends. Like, friends can do that for one another. There's, like, both um, a recognition of, like, people who are smarter and wiser and also peer, peer advice. It's kind of cool. Okay. Um, who has played this game before? Okay. How many people like this game? Is that a fun game? Does anybody else here hate it? I hate this game. It brings me so much anxiety, right? You're like got these little tweezers and you're like trying to take the little object out of the man and try not to make it, you know, and it's just like that sound is so like cacophony. I don't like it. Okay, I really hate this game. I think many of us feel like giving or receiving wise counsel is like playing a game of operation. We're afraid to do it wrong. We're afraid of being wrong. We know that there is a lot of opportunity for hitting the little thing and making it go and creating a mess. We're afraid of putting the guts on the table, right? The Bible says, though, that wounds from a friend can be trusted. So I want to I wanna explore that idea. Um, story time. When I was a student, um, I was a music major. Any music majors here? I think we asked this already. A couple of us. Okay. So I played the flute, and this is not like, I'm trying not to be, a, this is not a prideful statement. I was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I got into like all the top groups my freshman year, and there was a point when my Dr. Ott said to me, he's like, just so you know, like if you want to go pro, like I, I believe that you could do it if you work hard. Um, and right, there's only like a few flute spots in, in every ensemble. So I immediately felt like I had a target on my back when you're a freshman and you get into the top groups. Well, now you've got to keep being in the top groups. And all the people that have been working for a couple years to get in the top groups want to beat you. I don't like that feeling. Um, so, man, entering the music department was kind of like entering a foreign country for me. Um, 
I was kind of like, man, how much are we supposed to practice? Like, 